Let's pray and then we'll get started and we'll start out in Judges chapter 6. Gracious Father, we just thank you, Lord Jesus, for allowing us, Lord, another day in a free country to come and worship you. We thank you, Father, that you are already here. And God, we pray that we will come in with sincere hearts. Father, we pray that you will help us to lay aside all that has happened this past week, all that is ahead of us today or tomorrow or this coming week, and to just worship you, God, and to just fellowship with you and to be in your presence, Lord. Draw us into that intimate place with you this morning. I pray that for every one of my brothers and sisters sisters here this morning, Father. Help us to adore you. Help us to lift up sincere praise and honor and worship unto you, Lord. And I pray that you will inhabit our praises, God, that you will make our praises your beautiful home, oh God, and that you will delight to inhabit this place this morning. And Father, I thank you, Lord, for the anointing of the Lord upon every teacher of the word this morning. I pray that the word will go forth in power and in might and will equip your saints and will encourage your people. Oh, Father, I pray that you will feed us from your table. I ask that you will anoint the, the worship leaders and those that will partake in, in drawing us into the presence of God. I pray for the anointing of God all over them. I pray, Father, that you will tabernacle among us as you desire. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for pastor, those that, that would participate in the service in other ways and in bringing the word. God, I pray for your anointing upon them, Father. And we just commit this service to you. We thank you, Lord, that you meet with us and you have your way in this place. And may you receive all of the glory and all of the praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right, well, we're going to start in Judges chapter 6 this morning, if you'd like to, to go there. But today, what I want to talk about is another precious name of the Lord that's very, very tender, and it's Yahweh Shalom. And this is where we find it, is in Judges chapter 6. And I want to give you the context of this. The children of Israel had had rest for 40 years after Deborah and Barak and their victory and all of that. And they had had rest from their enemies for 40 years. But during that time of rest, they had gone back into idolatry and evil ways, and they were not following the ways of the Lord. They were serving Baal and Ashtoreth. And we see that later in the chapter when this story unfolds. But God is using different remedial judgments in order to chastise them, in order to discipline them, in order to draw them back to him. So he allowed enemies to come in, the Midianites in this case, and the Amalekites and the people of the east, probably from the Babylon area perhaps. And these people were coming in, they were stealing their food, they were oppressing them, and they were leaving them impoverished. And so Israel, of course, like we all do, we get in times of trouble and we cry out to God. So it drew Israel back to God and Israel cried out to God for deliverance. And so I want to begin reading in the story now in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abezerite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, 
Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an epath of flour. The meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear, you shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace. To this day, it is still in Oprah of the Abezerites. And I want to stop reading the story right at that moment, but I want to talk about this situation. So the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people from the east have come in. They're stealing Israel's food. They're, they're bringing all kinds of oppression to the people. And so God steps into the scene and and he causes one man to enter into the picture. He comes to one man. He comes to Gideon. Now, I want to point out a few things here. First of all, Gideon is apparently a fearful man of the enemy, of course. Now, he may have been operating in wisdom, too, from the Lord. We can't say he wasn't. But he's hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat in a wine press. This was not done in a wine press. Threshing wheat was done on the threshing floor, not in a wine press. The wine was pressed in a wine press. That was from the, the grapes. So we know here that we're talking about the time of the wheat harvest, and he's trying to preserve his food, his sustenance. And so the wheat harvest and the grape harvest in Israel are not at the same time. They're two different times. So Gideon is in a place that the Midianites, he's assuming, would not think to look for him because he's threshing wheat in a wine press, which is not the normal place. So he seems, at least in first glance, to be not so valiant after all. And yet God's angel, who many think is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it appears to be so by the reading of these scriptures, that this angel comes to him, or this... the perhaps the Lord himself, comes to him and the Lord calls this man who's hiding and threshing wheat in a wine press so he won't be found a mighty man of valor. 
Now, I can imagine as Gideon going, who are you talking to? <laughs> I think you got the right message, but the wrong person. That's not me. And yet God called him that. Sometimes we tend to belittle ourselves. And God sometimes is, is recognizing something in us that we do not rec recognize ourselves. So God calls him a mighty man of valor, even when he's hiding in a place that the Midianites would not expect. And he's hiding from them. So we can certainly identify with that sometimes when God says one thing about us, and yet we might say something else. So we see here that Gideon lacked confidence. It appears, too, that he was in some way disillusioned with God. Now, he was of the tribe of Manasseh. He was a Jew. He had been taught all the stories. He had been read the Torah. He had, he had learned the Torah and read it from his birth and from his infancy and his youth. And he had had his bar mitzvah just like all the rest of them. And he had had to know the Torah. But somehow he had gotten disillusioned with God. So he questions God about why this oppression is on them if God is so good and had mercy on his ancestors. So this tells us he did know the Jewish history. It also appears in the reading of this that God had already called Gideon because he asked Gideon, he says, have I not sent you? So somehow, perhaps, the Lord had already communicated a calling on Gideon's life in the form of deliverance in some way for Israel. It appears that Gideon was apprehensive, maybe even doubtful that he could be the one that God could use in this way. Because he said, how can I save Israel? Reminds me of somebody else at a burning bush who had the same kind of encounter, didn't he? God, who are you talking to? You sure? I mean, I, I, I can't even speak right. I'm slow to speak. Remember, Moses had that same doubtful discussion. So Gideon, he hears from God, and he's still squeamish about it, and he needs more confirmation. So he prepares this meat and bread. He brings it to the Lord, and it's consumed right there on the rock, from the rock, and then the Lord vanishes. Now, it's at that point, apparently, that Gideon realizes he was in the presence of of the Almighty God. He was in God's very presence. And so Gideon fears for his life. When he cries out, alas, it is a screaming out in pain. He was scared to death now that he was going to be consumed and killed. Dread gripped him, and he recognized he could die because of the holiness and the all-consuming fire of God's presence. Remember, he was a Jewish man. He knew the scriptures. Moses had said in Deuteronomy 4, verses 23 through 24, he says this, Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And that is repeated for us, part of that in Hebrews chapter 12, where even in the New Testament, he says, Our God is a consuming fire. So Gideon realizes, wait just a minute, because it was his daddy that had a graven image of Baal and Asherah in their, in their possession. 
on their property or somewhere near them. You keep reading the story and you'll see that, they, that Gideon was called to go and destroy that thing. So Gideon knows, I just violated. Our family is violating what God told Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And God is a jealous God, a consuming fire. I can die. This is the place that Gideon is at when this angel comes to him and he realizes what just happened to him. He has a stark revelation of being in God's very presence that hit him like a lightning bolt. But I want you to see God's response. He said to him, be at peace. You will not God spoke peace to him. And it was in that moment that Gideon found the revelation of who this God was, that he was a consuming fire. He is a jealous God. He is a holy God. But he is also a God of peace and a God who speaks peace. Psalm 85 verse 8 says this, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. The sons of Korah were writing this, and they testified that God speaks peace to his people. So Gideon gained a new revelation of God, that the Lord is a God of peace. He is a merciful God. Yes, he is holy. Yes, he is an all-consuming fire. He is one to be feared. He is one to be revered. But he is also a merciful God of peace who will speak peace to his people, even when they are in dis desperate situations or not where they need to be. He's not some mean ogre. He's not a God sitting in heaven. You know, sometimes when we're taught, especially in the holiness background that, that we came, se several of us came from, we're raised up. And I praise God for that. I am not complaining about that at all. I thank God for my upbringing because I learned to fear the Lord. But sometimes in doing that, we can have a harder time understanding the love and the mercy of God. We can have a harder time seeing him as smiling on us, seeing his delight in us, seeing his pleasure in us. And it, it makes it harder for us sometimes because we grow up sometimes in that environment. I can remember it's almost like you're afraid of everything. You're afraid of doing anything because it's almost as if you see God with a big stick up there that he's going to pop you. Anytime you mess up at all. And so Gideon had to learn that God is not like that. He is holy and his Holy Spirit will chastise us. And I praise God for that. He will convict us when we have sinned. He will convict us of wrong. Praise be to God. He's a good father and he's not going to let us go off away without convicting us. But he is not a mean ogre with a stick ready to whip you every time you mess up in any way. He is a God of peace. He is not a consuming fire that's desired to kill you, but rather his fire in our life is designed to purify us just like gold. It is designed to refine us in that fire. So that we come out and we're able to shine for him. And we're able to stand the tests that, that we are faced. And we come out as pure gold. It is designed to consume us in this sense. And that is in the sense that we give all for him.
We are consumed with him, not burned up and destroyed by him. Do you understand the difference? Hallelujah. So even in this place, God is a God of peace. So let's talk about what is this peace. Shalom is the Hebrew word. It's used even to this day all the time. And it's probably the most well-known Hebrew word in the world by everybody. And the Jews use it as a greeting every time they see you or, or anyone else. They'll say shalom. That's their greeting even to this day. And they wish for its meaning to be upon the person that they're greeting. That's the purpose of saying it. So the meaning of it is wholeness, safety, welfare or wellness, soundness, completeness, health, prosperity, tranquility, rest, contentment, a state of soundness and wholeness where nothing is missing and nothing is lacking. So we come on to the New Testament and we see this God of peace in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ step on the scene and he comes speaking peace. He comes bringing peace. He comes preaching peace with God, which is found through confession of sin, repentance, and faith in Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross. So let's see. Let's see how this plays out in Christ's life in just a few examples. The first one I want to go to is in Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, I'm going to read from verse 35. On the same day when evening had come, he, talking about Jesus, said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and, the, and other little boats were also with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Sounds a little bit like Gideon, doesn't it? He was disillusioned. Lord, if you're this great God of mercy who did all these miracles for our people and our ancestors, where are you now? Why are we being attacked by the Midianites? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And then he goes on and he deals with the disciples' little faith. But I want you to understand something here. Jesus had told them, let us go to the other side. Was there any question? Was there any question they were going to make it to the other side? Not in Jesus' mind. He knew it. There was no question at all. That's why he went down in the boat and went to sleep. He didn't have any worries. And then this great storm comes up. In the Greek, it actually means a mega whirlwind or a fierce or great tornado type thing. Reminds me of like a typhoon or a tsunami of some kind at sea. Probably of demonic origins because it just came up all of a sudden and it very likely was demonically originated to stop and hinder the Lord, perhaps even to destroy them all. Jesus stands up when they wake him up, and he rebukes it. And he first says, peace. He arrests the situation by commanding tranquility and calm. 
Then he says, be still. He commands for that sea, the waves, and the wind to return to normal, to be still. Imagine hearing a fierce tornado. Now imagine being in the boat. I don't, I, don't, I don't blame the disciples at all. I'm right there with them in the boat, I'll tell you what. Imagine being in a fierce, inside a fierce tornado. It's right there upon you. Feeling the torrents of the seawater hitting you and the wind tossing you about to the point that you're just about to toss over and capsize and drown. And Jesus is asleep in the bottom of the boat. He's at peace. He's not rattled by the situation at all. But the disciples are very much a different story. They sound like Gideon. And so Jesus has to be awakened. awakened, And then he gets up, rebukes, and speaks to this. And there is immediate calm. Immediate peace. Immediate ceasing of the wind and storm. And immediate control of the situation. Because he is the peace speaker. He is Yahweh. Shalom. Whatever storm you might be in, whether it's natural or of demonic origin, it makes no difference. Jesus is the peace speaker in your life today. He can command calm and command tranquility to you physically, emotionally, psychologically, financially, in your job situation, in your home, whatever your situation is, Yahweh Shalom is your peace because you're his child. In Luke chapter 8 is the next one I want to go to. Luke chapter 8, and we're going to read beginning in verse 40. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had a, an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman, having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceive dunamis going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He spoke peace to this woman. The Lord led me 
several, I guess it's been a year or so ago now, I don't remember, to do a teaching on this called The Healing Hymn. And I want you to understand a few things about it. First of all, men, Jewish men, wore tallits. They were prayer shawls that they wore around their, around their necks, and they would pull them over their head at certain times in prayers and things. And based upon the Torah, commandments in the Torah, they were to have fringes and tassels on these, the corners of these tallits. And these fringes were like, like tassels, like you would find on a graduation-type um, cap. According to Leviticus 15, this woman was to be unclean as long as she had this blood flow continuing. So she would be isolated. She could not be among the people. Yet I want you to understand this woman, she was desperate. She had suffered with this condition constantly for 12 years. She had suffered in isolation. She had suffered in humiliation. She had been ridiculed and extra, uh, extricated. She had been separated. And she was in a desperate place to have peace. She was in a desperate place to be healed. She was in a desperate place to be restored to wholeness and soundness in her life. She needed a peace speaker who could heal her. And she knew the scriptures. She was a woman, a Jewish woman that had been raised in the Jewish tradition. She knew the scriptures. And she knew it wasn't just anybody that was going to be able to heal her. She knew it had to be the one, the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. And she knew that Malachi 4 verse 2 says this, The Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his tzitzit, in his wings, in the corners of his garments, in those fringes. That's what Malachi 4.2 had prophesied. She knew that Malachi spoke of the Messiah. And Malachi was saying, when you find him, he's got the healing. He's got the healing. And when you reach out for the touch of those fringes in his garment, in his prayer shawl, he has healing. It is his power. And he is the one. So I want you to understand what she was doing here. She was desperate in a place that she had to have the son of righteousness who had healing in his wings touch her because she needed healing. And so she recognized him. She said, I got to touch him. I got to touch his fringes. I've got to touch the borders of his garment. He's the one. All these other people, they've got tallits, but they're not the one. He's the one. He's the Messiah. When she reached for his tallit, she was saying, I believe you, Yeshua. You are the Messiah. You are the promised one from the Old Testament. You are the one who has healing that I need to touch my body and make me whole and restore me to soundness. That's what she was saying when she reached for his tallit and the fringes of his garment. And that's why it arrested Jesus. And he said, whoa, somebody 
Somebody touched me in faith. Somebody reached out in obedience to Malachi 4.2, recognizing who I am. And the healing she needed is now reaching her. It's gone from my body. That dunamis power to touch her and heal her has left me. Who was it? And I can imagine being her and being scared to death. Oh, Lord Jesus. You know, I don't, I mean, I don't know if she was afraid she was going to get die or if she was afraid she'd get, you know, killed or whatever. I don't know. But she, fi- she finally realizes I got to tell him the truth. And she comes probably trembling and says, it was me. It was me. I was desperate. This is what I've been going through. It was me and I was in a desperate place. Maybe even saying something like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to disturb you. I know you're busy, but I needed you. I'm desperate. I needed you. And I recognize you for who you are. You're the promised one. You're the Messiah. And what does Jesus say to her? Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. And he speaks peace to her. And she finally, after 12 years of suffering, gets that soundness back in her body, that restoration back in her body, even though she had been in a place of desperation prior to that. He restores her to a place of soundness and wholeness, restores her to community, frees her from isolation and humiliation. He was her peace speaker, and he still does that today when we come to him desperate, needing him, and reaching out in faith to him. The last place I want to go to as far as examples is in John chapter 8. And it's found in verse 8 through 12. We know the story very well, so for the sake of time, I will not read it all. But I do want to begin reading in verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. We know this. The story is the adulterous woman who they came and they cast her on the ground before him and said, Hey, Moses said you got to stone her. We're here. We caught her in the very act. We're her accusers. According to the law... You must stone her. So now what do you say? They thought they had him in a gotcha moment that he had no way out of. But I want you to see the wisdom of this wonder of a counselor that Isaiah 9, 6 prophesied would come. Again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are your accusers? Those accusers of yours. Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, she was still there. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So here, Jesus, his wisdom comes forth in a powerful way. Because the first thing he had to do, he was in a situation where Moses' law, which was still in effect until the death of Jesus Christ, Moses' law demanded that if there were 
two or more accusers who could testify of this crime, she had to be stoned. As a matter of fact, both she and the man were supposed to be stoned. So he is standing in the face of the law's demands, which he could not violate, or else he would have been guilty of sin and trespass and could not have been the perfect lamb to die on the tree for us. Or the mercy and the forgiveness that he came to institute and the peace that he longed to speak to her. So he's caught in this situation. Watch what he does. He doesn't make the accusers leave. They leave of their own accord. He does make them in the sense that he, he's convicting. Whatever he's writing on the ground must have been convicting to them. But he's not the one that puts them and makes them go. They are convicted of their own, own heart, and they begin to leave one by one. So in his wisdom, he knew exactly how to get out of this. you got to get rid of the accusers. Because the law said that it required two or more accusers in order to convict and condemn someone to death. One alone couldn't have done it. So he, had to, he knew it. He had to get rid of the accusers. So he, in a sense, almost ignores them, writing on the ground, whatever he's writing, convicts them. They begin to leave. So when they're all gone, guess what? He's now free to offer her mercy and forgiveness, cleanse her from her sin, and restore her to a place of wholeness and soundness. He can now speak peace freely to her. So he tells her, go, sin no more. So she gets forgiveness, mercy, freedom from her sin. And she also gets instruction from the peace speaker of how to stay in a place of peace and soundness. How to stay in freedom. And that is through going and sinning no more. And listen, follow the light. I am the light. If you walk in the light of me, you won't stumble in darkness. Keep walking in my light. So this woman gets restored she was a sinner. She did not deserve God's peace. I'm sure she couldn't even believe at first, perhaps, that she could even experience it based on her fear and her trepidation that we see there. Yet she was a recipient of great grace and mercy, just like you and I are. We didn't deserve God's forgiveness and mercy. We didn't deserve God's peace. And yet when we are forgiven from our sins, we receive it. According to Romans 5, 1, it says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. What brings us into a place of peace with Almighty God, where we have nothing to fear from Him, is His forgiveness and the, the mercy that we receive from him through simple saving faith, confession of our sin. I want to read you what Thayer's talks about, this word for peace. It says it's this, the, stank, the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot. Beautiful definition of the peace that we have with God. The good news of the gospel is this peace. And Ephesians 2, 
14 tells us this. For he himself, speaking of Jesus, is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition. Christ alone is our peace. He is Yahweh Shalom. He also leads us with joy and peace, the word says in Isaiah 55. So Yahweh Shalom shows us that he is our peace, brings us into a relationship of peace with him in whatever situation we are in, whether it's a storm, he is our peace. Whether it's a place of desperate need, he is our peace. Whether it's a place of sin, maybe shame or fear, yet he grants forgiveness, mercy, and restores us to peace and soundness and wholeness. He is the peace speaker. He is Yahweh Shalom. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we, having been justified by faith, have peace with God. I pray this day you will speak peace to your people and you will meet their every need and come through for them mightily, just like you did for Gideon when you revealed Yahweh Shalom to him. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Bless you.